Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. tell you a little bit about what we're going to do tonight. I'm really pretty excited about it. I have organized tonight a little differently. Can you not hear as well? Okay. We've, uh, we've organized this a little differently. I'll talk after, then I'll go turn that up a little bit. Um, and I want to take you ultimately through uh, Psalm 23 is where we're going to land. And we are going to deal with the issue tonight of um, what do we want to do when God sends us into the storm? Mark had said something that was very intriguing to me on Sunday that I wanted to have you unpack at your tables, and that is he asked the question, would God send you into a storm on purpose? And there were a couple of people that sort of said no, and Mark said yes. And so the question that I want for us to answer is, how can we understand God and our relationship with him when he doesn't intervene and stop something from happening and actually lets us experience something? Um, So we're going to actually end up in Psalm 23 to do that. But I have some devotional thoughts for you tonight that I want to start with and then let you uh, talk a little bit at your tables. Um, I have been putting together a class for Ozark Christian College on pastoral counseling. And I ran across some very interesting brain research that I want to give you by way of devotional thoughts about the Word of God and the way that neurobiologists have found our brains to learn, which I think is really kind of cool. Because as we go through this kind of biological process, researchers are actually finding the transformative elements that change our brains and make our brains different. And I want to give you some of that and a little bit about how that happens and then tie it into what we're talking about. So that you will see that. And I want to do this by way of encouragement to you. Uh, There's a brain researcher that um, spends all of her time taking a look at how people learn. And she has simplified it into three steps. And I want to give these to you. The first step is short-term memory. Short-term memory is a chemical interaction that uh, excites your brain and allows for you to do something or learn something in the moment. But you might not remember it. So how many of you would say, I don't have a very good memory and I can't remember anything? Anyone raise your hand for that and admit to that? Yeah. The older you get, the more this becomes an issue, right? We're in the moment. We say that we're going to remember it. We, we write it down and then we forget where we write it. You know, so we, we've got that all down. Well, here's what she's found is that that rush of chemicals, if it is not repeated by practice, causes you to maybe not remember because it's practice or, or reviewing in your mind that puts it into long-term memory. So you have short-term memory, and only a little bit of what's in your short-term memory actually gets transferred into your long-term memory. The best place for this to get transferred is while you're sleeping. So if you have sleep problems, it will affect your memory, which is interesting. Sleep problems affect your memory. The best way to memorize is to review before you go to bed. 
and then sleep, and you'll remember it better in the morning because the transfer occurs while you are sleeping. So if you don't get enough rest, or if your rest is not very restful, it actually hinders your memory, which is really kind of interesting. Okay, so the second big piece is long-term memory. And long-term memory um, is created by practice and repetition. So this is where your devotional idea comes in. This is your Bible reading and memorization and review. So you hear something in the sermon, like I heard, like, oh, that's really an interesting concept. God will send us sometimes into a storm, knowing we're into a storm, and then he'll walk alongside of us and say, hey, what's up, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to think he's a ghost. Like, what in the world are you doing? And he's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Well, why don't you stop this? Mark said it's because he thinks that Jesus knew that they would make it, even with their effort and energy. That was not very comforting to me. I don't know if that was comforting to you. I'm thinking, no, 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 just make my life more easy. Okay, so when I look at that, I'm thinking, there have been times in my life where I think I've experienced that. Have there been times in your life where you think you've experienced that? Where God is sending you through something or he's letting you experience something and he comes alongside of you and he says, hey, I'm here. And you're going, do something. And he says, well, why don't you get out and walk to me? Are you crazy? And he's like, this, doesn't, this isn't really bothering me, but I know it's bothering you. That metaphor, that piece is what I want to unpack, but it is the long-term memory. That is what we do in our life over and over and over again that gets us ready for that. And the scripture says that you and I have to meditate on the word of God, and that means muttering, saying things over and over again and practicing it and rehearsing it. And what we're going to do is we're going to meditate on the word of God tonight as a group, but we're not going to do it a traditional way. We're going to do it by focusing on familiar concepts and pulling meaning out so that we can leave here encouraged and maybe even have a better memory about what to do the next time we're in a boat and we see Jesus walking next to us and we're like, hey, do something about this. And he goes, get out and walk to me because that's going to happen to us in some way. So that long-term memory is that repetition and practice. But this is what gets really cool. We actually are changing the organization and the structure, the organism of our brain through this process. They did some research on the cab drivers of London. And for you to be a cab driver in London, you have to memorize the entire map of the city of London. And you have to pass a test. So they did some brain research and they found that the mapping area of the cab drivers of London has thicker, more dense a neuro connection than other areas of their brain because it was the area that they worked on. And what they found by doing research for other people is whatever area you go to and use in your brain, the organic area of your brain over and over and over again builds better and better and better and better connections. So let me just raise your hand. Any former athletes in here? Notice I said former. Any former athletes in here? Yeah, th think about your or cheerleaders, musicians, any former anythings in here? Something that you used to do really, really well, but you might not do as well right now. You know, any, any of those in here? You know, the older you get, the more you become a former. And, and what, has, what happens is if you don't keep that area up, your brain sends these little scrubbers in. They're called gleals. And your gleals go into your brain and they pull away the parts of your brain, the organic material that you're not using, and they recycle it. So your brain is constantly recycling and rebuilding new structures. So if you learned a language and you can't remember that language, it means that you didn't focus on that language 
through long-term memory to create enough structure to hold on to that language because your little scrubbers came in and they changed it and they pulled it away. What you have to do is keep using the language because if you don't use a language, you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. We've said that over and over again. Well, this is why. This is what happens. Guess what happens when you stop studying the Bible? You can lose faith. Not just knowledge about God because you lose that. Do any of you memorize something you can't remember right now? Yeah, because we haven't gone back from the standpoint of the enthusiasm of learning it to the rehearsal of it over and over again to the structure that we can easily recall it. And what I have noticed is that when people stop having a word-centered life that relies on God, that relies on Jesus, leans into him and asks for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, when you stop that, you can actually lose faith. Isn't that interesting? It's just the way that things go. This class is about retaining faith and growing in faith and dealing with these issues through repetition and conversation and rehearsal and practice. Here's what they found. Until the day you die, this process works in your favor or against you. Remember when I told you last week that guys stop learning? They get holes in their brain. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good. Their brain stops remembering and they can just like go, er, 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 I don't remember exactly how to do that anymore. We have to keep reaffirming. So here's what I want for you to think about. When we are talking about leaning into Jesus, having a word-centered life, and practicing your faith, what you're doing is you're building structures for faith that can last a lifetime, but you can't stop because your brain is wired to recycle what you're not using so that you can keep using it. That's cool, and that's scary. You can never coast in your relationship with Christ because you can coast yourself right out of faith. You can coast yourself right out. Your brain will actually scrub away your faith isn't that interesting? Or your brain will keep your faith by this process and rehearsing. I think that is super incredibly fascinating, which means God has put a lot of control in your hands. That's cool and super scary. A lot of control. So when you're too busy to spend time with him, you could be unstructuring things that you had structured. I often think of our teenagers. This is not a slam against anything teenagers. This is just a great illustration. When, if our teenagers go to a conference anywhere and they come back all excited, they've got that short-term memory going that's beginning to put some stuff into long-term memory and they're making decisions about doing things for Jesus and having a Bible study and we're gonna go to the campus on the high school and we're gonna have all of this um, kind of spiritual expression, right? I mean, we, we have all seen that. We've actually done that. I mean, we're old enough to have done that. Why is it that in three weeks they go back to living the same way that they were living before? Because it didn't transfer into a structure over and over again. So what I want for you to know is this. I want to super encourage you tonight by saying this. The processes by which we are talking about, the friendships that we are developing, the honest conversations that we are having, the fact that we are all wired the same way means that as we study the scripture and we talk about it and we interact with it, we can actually have our, ourselves deconstruct bad habits and construct godly ones. We can actually grow in our wisdom and our ability by using the word of God, and that can always be a part of our life. So my admonition to you tonight as we start this process is a storm is coming, brothers and sisters. We don't know what it is. A storm is coming. And for you to get through that storm to where Jesus doesn't have to say to you, oh, you of little faith, you've seen it, 
You've experienced it. You've raised your hands in it. You've sung songs to it. For you to be able to meet that storm head on with a greater faith, what we have to do is go through this process on a regular basis. It doesn't mean it will be easy and it doesn't mean it will be perfect. But what it means is you don't have to be afraid. That's really clear. You don't have to be afraid. And that's going to bring us to our main topic tonight of dealing with fear, which keeps coming up over and over again in these elements, is that this, the disciples were afraid. Now, here's what I want you to think about with this in mind. I don't want to psychoanalyze the disciples very much at all, because I don't think it's fair. But I do want to say this. They got really excited when Jesus did certain things, right? You can imagine the feeding of the 5,000, which is one of those last things. And all of a sudden, he's, de he's deconstructing their idea of who he is. And they're like, oh, wow, this is really, really cool. This is really, really amazing. Jesus goes up to the transfiguration. I mean, he goes, up, he goes up to pray. He comes back on down. He sends them on their way, and they get terrified. That experience of the 5,000 did not translate yet into a deep enough structure. Does that make sense to you? They knew it somehow in their head. But when they put their eyes on the storm, and then they saw Jesus, and they got scared... They didn't have enough experience and enough practice and enough prayer and enough uh, working together that could carry them through that with enough faith. That's why we need each other, is because we're in various um, processes of faith development to really rely on each other and to help each other out. And I look at the disciples from a brain research standpoint, if I could just bring that in, and I go, oh, oh, you're more like me than I thought. Have you ever committed to God, got really super excited, and then had a rough two days later and wonder where that commitment evaporation went to? I have. And I look at that and go, dust yourself off, Peter Buckland, and get going again. The brain research, research, researcher said this, there is no substitution for practice. No substitution. It, there's nothing that takes the place of the repetition of meditating and having a word-centered life and leaning into Jesus and practicing these because the minute we stop practicing them, we'll go back to our old habits. So with that in mind, what I'd like for you to talk about in your groups is uh, how was your week? Uh, what are some of the things that you're noticing about your faith? Um, and I would like for you to just spend a little bit of time reminiscing on the faithfulness of God. What are you noticing about your faith? What are some things you might have noticed about your last week? But we're going to reminisce a little bit on God's faithfulness. So I want you to think through something, could be last week, it could be a year ago, it could be longer, of reminiscing about your faith. Because we're supposed to remember, think about this, remember is that long-term memory. And as we remember our experiences with God and we share our experience with God and we look at them and go, oh, that is really cool, we're building a structure of faith. That's what we're doing. That's why the whole scripture is full of go back and remember and remember and remember and remember. Uh, Psalm 78 is remember, 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 so that you can move forward. Don't forget where God has brought you from because he's sending you places where you need to remember who he is. Build the structure of memory. So I want us to practice that. Is how's your week? What are some things that you're learning in? And then I want you to share something about God's faithfulness to you. Uh, somewhere that you don't mind talking about with somebody. And I'm going to give you about 10 minutes or so, and then we're going to jump right into the text and ask ourselves the question, um, how can we understand Jesus? We talk about how loving he is and how kind he is and how supportive he is. If he's going to send us into a storm, how can we understand that? 
and how can we thrive uh, while we are going through that experience? And how can we help somebody else thrive while they might be going through an experience like that? So that's what we're going to unpack tonight. So let me open up with a quick word of prayer, and I will let you spend some time talking. Lord, thank you for this group that can hear um, how we can put your word into our lives. Lord, you have made us in a fascinating, wondrously awesome way to where through these processes of leaning into Jesus and living a word-centered life and practice, we can maintain faith throughout our whole lives. And yet we also recognize that the opposite is true, that we could actually just kind of coast and we could drift farther and farther and farther away from you because this very process that you have put in place can work against us. So Lord, we sit before you, we commit ourselves to you and say, please help us to be wise and strong and be able to lean into these truths that you have given to us so that we would thrive under every circumstance that no matter what happens to us, we would be able to lean into our faith because of your faithfulness, which we will celebrate here in just a few minutes. Bless us, Lord, as we study, as we talk, as we pray, and as we consider who you are and how we can lean into you better and better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you would turn to page 24, this uh, Seeing Jesus in the Storm, page 24, the context of our lives. Um, I would like tonight to be an encouragement to you also while we deal with this situation because I know that um, in a room like this, there are various degrees of storminess that are present. And what I would like for you to see is the value of having Jesus be the one who meets us on the water. That's what I want for you to see. The value of Jesus being the one who meets us on the water. Because what he is going to do is stretch us into greater faith. He's going to give us that opportunity like he gave Peter. And if we get going to um, step toward him, which is what we want to do, we may be successful for a while or we may struggle. But we want to get out of the boat to grow. We want our storms, our struggles to keep growing us and developing us and showing us more and more and more about him. And that's what I want for you to see. The structure of our lives is what I want to really encourage you for. Rather than be frustrated that you're having a rough day or be frustrated that something has happened to you as though God were teaching you something or angry with you in some way, I want you to look at this from the standpoint of what is God showing me about himself? What is he showing me about himself? That's the question that I want for you to, to ask yourself. Mark said what God is showing us in Jesus is that we can't walk on water, but Jesus can. We can't do it, but Jesus can. And we have to let go and release our need for control and trust that Jesus can find us in the storm Jesus can give us the resources that we need in the storm. Jesus can protect us in the storm. Jesus can call us to himself in the storm. Jesus will be our shepherd in the storm. And that's where I want to take you, is no matter what's going on. So the next time that your life is stormy, or the next time that you know somebody whose life is stormy, it's almost like you can put your arm around them and say, I, I want to talk to you about how our faith in Jesus gives us what we need while we are going through this time period. And that's what I, I hope you will get out of this, is that Jesus is providing things for you 
no matter how easy or difficult your situation is. So the context of our lives, I've listed out some of the verses here for you so that we could just have them together. Uh, God knows that we will experience fear. We have a natural tendency to step away and shrink back in the face of something we don't know what's going to happen. So we're going to protect ourselves and we're going to want to um, get out of the situation. You are designed by God to react in less than one second to protect yourself. Um, Your initial emotional reaction is your fight, flight, or freeze center, and it will respond in less than one second. All you have to do is not pay attention and go and touch something that's hot, and you will immediately recoil. Here's what I want you to know, is that that will happen to you in faith also. So I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, I should keep my hand here because I'm not sure if I'm going to get burned or not. I want you to know that from a spiritual side, if you do step back, you want to step back and determine, do I really need to step back? Because you, you just might. You might just recoil. You might just pull away in some way because we are designed to be protected biologically. And I think spiritually there are some lessons here for us as well. The thinking part of your brain takes six seconds to function. So you touch a hot stove and you wait six seconds to determine that it's hot. What is going to happen to your fingers? They're they're going to be irreconcilably burnt and you're going to need some kind of advanced therapy and care. Okay, so we live in this really interesting situation where we could recoil in faith Maybe like the disciples were recoiling in that boat, like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And Peter's like, oh no, 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 I'll I'll get burned, I'll try it, I'll I'll see what actually happens. And you have 11 people that are like stepping back, thinking, I don't know what to do with this situation. I'm going to make you right at this moment one of those 11 people. Because that's a very human response. My question for you is, is what is God teaching you about yourself while you are stepping back. And here's what I want you to think about. God is teaching you it's okay to step forward. It's okay to step forward. That's what he's teaching you. Because he's ready for your forward motion. So you get scared, you pull back, because you're not really sure, and you're going, I don't really know what I want to do here. It's okay for you to take a step forward. That step may be, oh Lord, just give me what I need right now. It's the Hezekiah, chapter one, chapter two prayer. Lord, I need to say something, and I need to say it now. Give me the wisdom to say it. Lord, I really need your help and your, your ability right now. Help me to figure out what I need to do to get this going. And you just get started. That is a normal experience. If you think that you've stepped back to do something more in the flesh, like we were talking about yelling at your kids or something, you step back to kind of get going, you want to step forward in the opposite trait. You step back, notice it, so that you can step forward. Peter stepped forward, didn't he? Stepped forward and got out of the boat. And he started to move toward Jesus and then lost his focus. So what I want for you to see as we look at this is God knows. He knows that fear, even in our faith, can take over. So Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse, or chapter 41, starting in verse 8. But you, and I, I want to make this Christian for you in just a moment uh, as I read through this. I know I'm reading it from the Old Testament. But you, O church, my servant, whom I have chosen, you, descendants of Abraham, my friend, you're my friend too, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant, but in Christ I now call you friend. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you, so do not fear. 
For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's what I want you to know. God will put you in situations to prove that that is true. He'll put you in situations to prove that that is true. He will allow situations to happen in your life so that that will be true. So that you can see that he will indeed take care of you. Do you know anybody who's never had any trouble in their life whatsoever? I really haven't. But those people can can have trouble empathizing with another person who has. So let's just say that once you become a Christian, God gets rid of all of your problems and all of your anxieties and just gives you the most perfect life in the entire world. How well will you fit in with the rest of the world? Not well at all. So what he said is we live in a broken world and there's a part of this brokenness that I hate to to remind you is still going to be in your life, but I will meet you in that so you don't have to be afraid of that brokenness. I'll meet you in that so that you don't have to be afraid about what's going to happen. I'm going to meet you there so that no matter what happens to you, when people look at the brokenness of the world and they see how you can thrive in the middle of brokenness for my name's sake. This is one of the most important statements in Psalm 23. For his name's sake, he will show up to be real and true and authentic. And that, my brothers and sisters, becomes a way for us to show people that God really is alive and active. That's really pretty amazing. It's not like he's going to necessarily send us into the fire. Please don't feel like you're left out if he didn't do that. But he said, no matter what you face, I will be with you always. Now, Mark also said in this um, illustration on Sunday, he said that when Jesus says, do not be afraid, it is I. That it is I is a derivative of I am. That is the name of God. And they would have known that. It is I. It is I am. And you'll notice here that um, God says the same thing here. I have chosen you, so do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. There is this statement of God's capacity and capability over and over and over and over. And he is determined to show you that he can do it. He is determined. That's why you spend some time talking about his faithfulness. Because if you forget his faithfulness and you run into another struggle in your life and you don't have the structure of the remembrance of God's faithfulness, you could act as though he doesn't care. Oops, ouch. Know anybody who's done that? Well, you're looking at one right here on the stage. I've acted that way at times when I have forgotten how faithful he is because in the moment I just want this to stop and I get frustrated and I think, oh, and he's like, no, watch my faithfulness. It's going to be okay. Step, you step back. So step for me, step toward me, instead of stepping away from me. And so this Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 in particular, is a very favorite that many Christian people have because it's about God's capabilities. Notice this, you will experience trouble and hardship. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, Our expectations need to be aligned with what God says will happen to us. This one is a real struggle for me sometimes. Because what God has said is, I'm not going to exempt you, but you're going to make it. I'm not going to exempt you, but you're going to make it. You will have trouble. This is from the mouth of Jesus. And he said, I have overcome the world. So what this is saying is that Jesus is the relationship that we have to get through our troubles. I mean, we we have a relationship with each other, which is incredibly important. But we've got to have our relationship with Jesus also. We have a relationship with Christ, 
that is that manna we've been talking about. That relationship with Christ that gives us the stories of faith that I was sharing with you last week and your own stories. It is the relationship with Christ that normalizes that he is living and active for us. And we remember that and we keep going with that because he is going to give us, this is what's really cool, a life where those things will be needed. A life where those will be needed. He never wastes an experience. Never. You have something happen to you, somebody will come and tell you the same thing happened to me. You will think you're alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. It's just that people don't wear their experiences, but at the right time, they will share them, right? They will share their experiences at the right time, in the right moment to say, God was faithful to me when I went through the same thing that you're going through. He will be faithful to you as well. He never wastes an experience. But you might not tell your story from the stage. It might not be a stage story, but it may be a story to put your arm around somebody to say, hey, I wanna tell you something about what I learned about God from the experience that I had. And I think this will be helpful for you. And that's gonna be really cool. We will have trouble, but in this world, Jesus will overcome. And our stories for each other are incredibly important. One of the values of this church is to be able to tell our story without being criticized and ridiculed. That is a high value. And I hope that you feel that, that you can tell your story to somebody and still have the kind of closeness here that you want to have. Romans chapter five, verses one through five is a verse that, a passage that I've used a lot. So let me just give you a, a little bit of insight on this as we talk about it. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we, ooh, board in the hope. That's not the right word. Somebody looked that up, that board in the hope hmm. of God. Glory in the hope of, oops, of glory of God. Not only so, but also glory in our suffering. Somebody look that up and shout that out so we can fix that. We boast. Thank you. Thank you. Boast. I thought, I, again, I thought I did all my wonderful things. Yeah, we boast in the hope of the glory. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. But not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. A couple of things I really want you to think about here. When God has saved you and he pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness, he like moved you into another whole location. And in that location, he has placed you in grace. And we've talked a little bit about this. Grace is a combination of favor and forgiveness. So you have his favor and you have his forgiveness. That's really cool. So when you're in the boat and the, and the sea is rocking, Favor and forgiveness are not up for grabs. They're not. Whether or not God is gonna give you grace is not up for discussion. He's going to give you grace. He has given you favor. He will give you forgiveness. Those are not on the table. What is on the table is what is the meaning of this and what are you showing me about your favor, your forgiveness and your grace, God? What are you showing about this? But what do I need to learn about this and how can I use this um, to glorify you in my life. And I, I wanna encourage you with that. He is not picking on you. What he's doing is he's drawing you closer to him and saying, do you wanna get out of the boat and get close to me? Even if our storm is by our own making, he loves you, he cares about you, he's calling you to him and he's beckoning you to step out of the boat to grow in your faith. That is what this is talking about. And, and what I like to think about is this, that if this is where he has placed us, this room right here, and he's deposited us in this room, then grace is what we breathe. And it's everywhere. You just run into it all the time. 
you just don't notice it. That God's favor, God's forgiveness, God's goodness is something you run into all the time. It is in the boat. The darkness cannot hide it. The winds cannot blow it away. The waves cannot wash it away because it is all around you. And that's really important. What kind of a shepherd do we have? We have a shepherd that has an environment in an environment. An environment within an environment. If you've ever been in a situation where you have been shocked and you are held together, that is an environment within an environment. If you've ever been in a situation where you don't know what to say and all of a sudden the words just come out, you are in an environment within an environment. If you're counseling with somebody or working with them and you're stumped and you say, Lord, I just really need to get this moving. And all of a sudden you say something, you go, that was exactly what I needed to hear. That is an environment within an environment. That we live not only in the physical world or in our experience, but we also live by the blessings of the kingdom of God. And this is what we can sometimes fail to see. Because what follows next is the process. Suffering. Notice that. He says that, that we will have tribulations or suffering. Suffering. That's what he starts with. And I go back to this and I think, oh wow, you did not exempt us. You did not exempt us. We will struggle. We will suffer. We will have stress and strain. And the word that is used here is a word that means pressure, that you will feel pressure placed upon you. And that pressure must be met with perseverance. And the perseverance is doing the right thing. I want to take you back to short-term memory, long-term memory, and structure. It is met with this process of long-term memory and structure. I often tell people that when they're struggling, if I could hold my hand up and I'm pretending I'm a doctor, I just say, go to church. Go to church, go to church, go to church. There's something that happens on God's turf with God's people and God's timing, right? There's something that happens. And if you feel unworthy to go to church, that means you gotta go to church because that's the place to go because Jesus said, when you are feeling especially unworthy, that's when you need me the most. Go to church, go to church, go to church. When you are suffering and struggling, God's people with God's word on God's timing can totally transform your life. Perseverance over and over and over again. So sometimes I just encourage people to do the right thing even when they don't want to. Do the right thing and I'll go with you. Sit next to me at church. I'll, I'll buy you the $2 coffee. If I can manipulate you by getting you here so that you know somebody loves and cares about you with two bucks, that is a win. That's great. I, I would be more than happy to have a moment with you so that you know that you really are cared about here. God's people, God's truth, God's timing can create that for us, which is really cool. So you have this pressure. Now what's interesting is that um, if you look at this from this word um, as it kind of morphed through the ages in the medieval times, um, it was actually a word that was used for capital punishment called philipsis. And the idea was is that the um, Anglo-Saxons, because they were so creative at being cruel, would find great big stones. And if you were a person who was going to be executed, instead of throwing little stones at you to execute you, they would put great big stones on you. And when they put enough stones on you, you know what would happen to your body, right? You would crush and you'd squish out. This is the illustration that Paul is using. It's so clever, isn't it? You're going to have pressure so much pressure that you may squish out. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> do you squish out? 
or does Jesus get the glory? Because whatever's in you comes out of you. Now, I wanna, I wanna say this to you, and I wanna be gentle in time. If I really wanna know what you're made out of, all I have to do is make you mad, because you'll show me. All I have to do is make you mad, and you'll show me what's inside of you. Everybody knows this. It's what your non-Christian friends try to do to you to see if you're really Christian. You start cussing, swearing, and carrying on, they're going, you're just no different than me. I don't need to listen to you. They're looking for somebody who's different so that under pressure, Jesus squishes out. That's what they're looking for. That's what this class is about, is how do we get more of Jesus to squish out instead of me to squish out? Well, God says it's because you're gonna be under pressure and you gotta persevere because when you persevere, that's when you get character. This word for character is the Greek word for proven character, not just any character. You know any... Anybody? I just want to say teenagers, but I'll just, I'll just say teenagers. You know any teenagers who overestimate their ability to perform? Yes. You're looking at one right here when I was that age? Of course. Because all teenagers overestimate their ability to perform. But put under the right amount of pressure, I can't. It's not proven character. I don't have the experience. But I think I can in my own mind because in my own mind I can but in real life, I might not be able to actually make that happen. What, what Paul is talking about is in real life, you will have the real character of Jesus squish out. That's who, but it only, well, not only. It primarily happens through perseverance under pressure. That's when the character of Christ forms. Now think about this. Short-term memory, all super excited at church, raising your hands in worship, reading your Bible, making all kinds of commitments. You go and you start working on that and you're repeating things over and over and over again and then you're beginning to build some new structures. If I were Satan, what I would want to do is put enough pressure on you to collapse those last two things. I'd want to collapse your structure and make you feel really bad and guilty and a hypocrite, because that's really easy for him to do. And then I want to take your long-term memory, and I want you to, to decide that it's not worth it to have your Bible study. It's not worth it to memorize the Word of God. It's not worth it to go to church, because when you do that, you don't get the end result that you want. That's what I would convince you. Does anybody in here resonate with that story? That's what I would want to do. I'd want to wipe you out so that when you're under pressure, Jesus stops leaking out because that is a powerful, powerful witness. That's amazing. And because he is our shepherd and he cares for us, uh, we will be able to move forward and be able to meet him in the storm. And then he says this, you'll have hope. This one is really cool. Do you know that without hope you'll die? You will physically die if you don't have hope. If we take your hope away from you and we isolate you, and we convince you nobody loves you and nobody cares about you, you're gonna stay in this position for the rest of your life, you will die early. You take away hope and people physically die. Guess what happens when you take away their spiritual hope? There's no hope to change. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. You've convinced yourself you'll walk out of church and you won't come back. It will kill you. And what Paul is saying here is that this pressure that you are under and this ability to persevere, this short-term, long-term structure that you're going through over and over and over again reaches a tipping point. We were talking about that tipping point. And when it reaches that tipping point, you have character. And when you have character, then under pressure, Jesus leaks out. And then you look and say, hey, if he did it for me, he could do it for you. Because I'm just a regular, messed up person. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. That's what's so amazing. So incredibly amazing. That's what this is talking about. And somehow, some way, the shepherd of your soul is with you through that whole experience. So that in the very end, 
you can glorify him instead. Wow, that was pretty amazing and pretty incredible. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. This is where it comes in. My brothers and sisters, whenever you are squished, because you know that being squished produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Oh, great balls of fire. Now I have to be squished to be mature. I got to be under pressure to be mature. Yes, you do. Who decides what pressure you go under? The one who made you, who knows how much pressure creates maturity and how much pressure destroys you. He said, you won't get so much pressure that it will destroy you. First Corinthians 10, 13. You will not be tempted beyond what you can bear, but you will be given a way of escape so you can remain holy. First Corinthians 10, 13. You will not. You might think you're dying because we're supposed to die to ourselves. So when Jesus said, lay down your life, pick up your cross daily and follow me, you're going to feel like, gosh, this is really hard. But you're not sinning and you're not really going to die. You're just uncomfortable under the pressure so that real character can be formed. I don't like his school. Do you like his school? This is called by an author the school of brokenness. I'm like, what? Can't we have the school of pleasure and ice cream? Come on, just let's get going with this. And he knows we don't learn very well that way. So he promised to be with us. So I want to I wanna give you a little bit of time to talk about Psalm 23. So let's look at Psalm 23. This psalm is incredibly important to God's people for a number of ways. Because these things are true. If you're going to be thrown into the lion's den, if you're going to be thrown into the arena, if you're walking into a hostile workplace, if you've got a, a son or a daughter that doesn't match you very well and you're just pulling out your hair all the time, if you're in a relationship with somebody that has turned really combative, whether you're married to that person or not, if you've found yourself in a situation that you don't want to be in, Psalm 23 is for you because this is the person standing next to you on the water saying, walk to me, walk to me. So Psalm 23 is a psalm about confidence. Um, what I want to say by my introduction, you guys are really familiar with Psalm 23. I didn't put it in here, but I know you've got your Bibles with you, is this. Psalm 23 echoes many truths of the Exodus. Now, David was very close to the Exodus in comparison to us. And the Exodus was when the nation of Israel was freed from slavery. So if you remember, um, the nation of Israel, or, or Jacob, uh, was down in Israel, and eventually they were all released. Um, through um, God's intervention with Moses. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that wandering has echoes in Psalm 23 because theologians will say this. This is really cool. Our Egypt was our pre-Christ state when we were in bondage. That was our Egypt. You were trapped. You were driven by sin. And we're not supposed to be driven by sin once we are free. But it's hard to get Egypt out of us, right? We saw that with the nation of Israel. And so the wilderness wanderings and the movements around there were to put pressure on the nation so they would trust God. So when they couldn't have enough water and they would say, oh, Lord, you brought us out here to kill us with thirst. God said to Moses, talk to the rock, let it, let it, let it have some water come out. And Moses was really ticked at that time. He hit the rock, the water came out. And God said, well, you're not going into the promised land because you got mad. That's really like harsh, God. But I, you're God. That's okay. I, I don't, I don't want to. Please don't kill me. Thank you very much. But. You're looking at that going, if I were Moses, I would have pulled out my hair. You had, the, you had the attacks by other people. You had the rebellions on the inside. 
But what you have is a story, a story of our lives on our way to our promised land. This is our get in glory papers on the season three. We leave sin, we move through the, the, uh, the wilderness, and we get our glory papers, and we get to be with Jesus. Now, what's interesting is Psalm 23 happens in the wilderness, and there are overtones of that. And I've written them in here, because I don't know if you know that. It's really cool how there are overtones to the struggle of the nation of Israel and how God, as their shepherd, remember we talked about shepherd last time, how God, as their shepherd, cared for them with protection, provision, and guidance. And that's what he's going to do with us while he stands on the side of the boat doing those same things. So verse 1, it's the second paragraph. Uh, Yahweh, the Lord, remember this is the feminine name for God, this is the covenantal name for God, is shepherd. Drawing from one of the earliest descriptions of God, Genesis 49, 24. But his bow remained steady, his strong arms remained limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd of the rock of Israel. Now what's interesting is the idea of shepherd does not resonate with us as much as it does for the rest of the world. But if you recall what Mark was saying is that sheep really cannot provide for themselves or protect themselves. And if you stop and think about your life and the vulnerability of just being a human in a broken world, there's only so much that we can do. We're fairly short-sighted because we can only see right now, and sometimes we don't understand the now. And Jesus can see through the now and into tomorrow and into the future, and God will care for us. And so he's got sight where we don't have sight. Our, our own need for nutrition um, increases throughout the day. God does not have needs for nutrition. He can just sustain us and care for us and hand us what we need, like the shepherd can hand uh, off what he needs to the, shepherd, to, to the sheep. God knows where we can get rest. God knows where we can get shelter. God knows where we can um, make sure that we are well cared for. He knows all of those things because he scans the whole horizon of our life and he knows, like a shepherd, where the sheep can be best taken care of. And even in the wilderness, that's what the Father was doing. And in our own life, that's what God is doing. So this is the idea of shepherd. That's really cool. So you can look through some of that. And then in Hebrew, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So here's what I want for you to think about. Um, as a result of God being the shepherd, Israel lacks nothing. Deuteronomy 2.7 echoes this of the, of the wilderness. Notice, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. The exact same words. Now, the nation of Israel didn't have enough of what they wanted. Oh, okay, now we're talking to Americans here. The nation of Israel did not have enough of what they wanted, but the question is, did they have what they needed? Yes. You see, you and I are eternal people having a temporary physical experience as Americans in the richest land in the entire history of the world. And God knows that. We are not permanently physical having a temporary spiritual experience. We are spiritual having a temporary physical. And God says, I'm going to give you the kingdom values. And the kingdom values are different than American values. The kingdom values are different than get more. The kingdom values are different than please yourself. The kingdom values are different than let your children decide for you what you're going to do. The kingdom values are different. And here's what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and I have to say this as bluntly and kindly as I can, God will have no rivals. God will have no rivals. No rivals. Remember the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. We have many to choose from. 
And so what God is saying as, a shep- as, as your shepherd is this. You will not lack for anything, but you might not get what you want. That's hard for us. It's hard for us as leaders in the church to not get what we want. It's hard for you to not get what you want. But here's what I want you to know is through the process of his leading, through the process of his direction for us, and we submit the knee, we get to the knee and we say, Lord, I really want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want us to be your family. You have to remake us and reform us. You have to take our short-term memory and make it repetitive and long-term memory so we get the structure of the kingdom in our lives. We have to go through that process, and as a result, we will lack for nothing in God's economy. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So he will give you exactly what you need, not necessarily what you think you need, which we know that, but that's in here. Notice God will guide his people. In the Exodus, he will guide them to his holy dwelling. God is going to guide you by still waters. He's going to guide you in the paths of righteousness. He's going to guide you to get what you actually need. And notice this. It says in Exodus 15, 3, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed in your strength, and you will guide them to your holy dwelling. God is taking you on a journey where he knows where the end is. And the end is his glory in a close relationship with him. That is the end of your journey. His glory in a close relationship to the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter one. That is the end and a close relationship with him. And what's really clear is when you see him in the end, when you get to stand before him and put your arms around him, are you gonna say that was amazing? Or are you gonna say, what were you like to me? What are you gonna say? I wanna say that, that was amazing. And it just tempers me. Is you, you want to guide me, you want to move me, you want to help me to understand the kingdom, the world, our culture, our politics from your standpoint, Lord. Your standpoint, not mine, your standpoint. So that you can guide me beside still waters, which is a, is a place of security and rest. That you can guide me in the paths of righteousness, which means repetition. If you look at this, these words, it's a repetitiousness. That's that whole structure. It's the paths of righteousness is not just a cute little saunter that we go on on Sunday. It is a repetitiousness day in and day out of living our lives the way that God would want for us to live so that we could actually have the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. Um, the high point of verses two and three is for his name's sake. This is the third from the bottom paragraph on page 25. It also associates with the Exodus. The same expression is used in Psalm 106, 8 in the context of the deliverance from Egypt. If you want to read it, that whole thing, you can. This is the verse. Yet he saved me. I'm sorry. Yet he saved the, the Israelites, what should be, for his name's sake, to make um, his mighty power known. Here's what I want you to know. God's name is at stake in you. You wear his name. His name is at stake. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean he wants to show off. That's what he wants to do. It's not like, oh my gosh, if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to be in trouble. But that's true too. But here's the point, is that God is constantly wanting to point to how amazing he is by his effect on your life. His effect on your life. It's not about you. It's not about how cool you are, although you will be cool, I think. You will, you will have amazing things that will happen to you. You'll have stories. We shared some of those. Those are cool stories. But the point is, is that there is this amazing God who stands next to us on this raging storm. And these stories of that little lady that prayed for me at Walmart was in a raging storm where God said, take steps closer to me. And I did. 
again, the lady that helped me pick out the products for Vanna. Raging storm where I couldn't even read and think. And some very sweet, kind lady, who I think was really disguised as an angel, helped me when I couldn't move. When I couldn't move. Those are our stories. God has said, I will be there for you for my name's sake. I believe with all my heart that you cannot get away from him when you're like Christ. You cannot. He has proven over and over and over again, he will find you. He will find you. He knows where you are. Mark said that. He knows where your boat is. He will find you. And when he finds you, he's either going to talk to you directly or he's going to send some sweet little old angel in a Walmart costume to do his bidding. Who knows how badly you need him? Who knows? That is really cool. His name's sake. Now, here's what's really cool. You may be that person. You may be that person. Now, let me tell you the story of the lady whose grandfather died. I just need to update you on that. Um, she came out from behind the counter this last week and walked up to me. And I said, oh, I thought you were going to be gone. And she said, no, no, we're not, we're not going to be gone just yet. I said, oh, well, tell, tell me what you're going to be doing. And she said, well, we're leaving on such and such a date. It was later. And um, I said, oh, wow, I, that's just going to be a long trip, isn't it? She said, yeah, it's like, oh, 12 hours or something like that. And I've got two kids and we're buying all the junk food that we possibly can. And we're going to just feed them with junk food and leave at five in the morning. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please bless this lady. Don't feed children junk food and put them in a car. Please don't do that. And she said, I'm going with my brother and I'm going with my sister. And I said, oh, that's probably going to be great for you all to be together. And she just, she just looked at me and I said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And I want you to know that um, I'm, I'm really thinking about you and I'm really sorry about your grandfather. And she just looked at me and she said, I just thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then she turned right back around and went back around the little corner and went back to her little business and was gone. I would love to be like Jesus, calling somebody into being treated the right way when they're in a boat in a storm. Wouldn't you? Because what Jesus is doing is he's calling people to him to get resources and care and love and support so that they get what they need, not necessarily what they want. You know what this lady needs? She needs somebody to care for her. I'm sure they do there too. But she just needs somebody to be nice to her and, and interested in her story and see what's going on. Because eventually there is a path that she is on and there will be an invitation to meet somebody who loves her more than anybody else can ever love her. And we're just waiting for that invitation for the time to offer it. That's really cool. To be a part of that story is really, really cool. And so I want you to think about your, your role in God's namesake. It's not so much about being the right person. I don't want you to focus on like perfection. I want you to know that he wants to be noticed because of who you are and what's happening in you so that you can just readily share that. Uh, verse number 26, or sorry, page number 26. The valley of death's shadow. It's difficult to know exactly what this means. Um, you know, there's lots of different ideas about this. Um, but again, keeping with the Exodus, I want to take you back to that. It says the Hebrew means very deep shadow or even total darkness. This is also a metaphor of a shepherd leading the people, but as associations with the Exodus and wandering through the deep shadow of the wilderness. 
Now, this is a scary place. I just want you to know the deep shadows are scary. So in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 6, they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through the land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? How'd you like to walk through that place? Did you ever feel like you're, you're walking in a place where no one lives? A barren land? And God leads us through that to get to the other side. So we don't need to be afraid of that. Uh, verses 5 and 6, the anticipation of future thanksgiving in God's house. This is what I think is really cool, 5, 6, as, as we come down to the end, and I'm going to let you um, talk a little bit about this before we go. There is celebration in the midst of this. Isn't that interesting? There is celebration in how amazing God is. He is going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's going to feed you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you with his rod and his staff that are going to comfort you. He's going to move you by goodness and mercy. The word goodness is the, is the Hebrew word tov, and it just simply means everything that you can think about that is really pleasurable and sweet and good about God, he is going to pour into you like he's pouring on that table. And the word mercy is the word hesed. And if you remember, that is the, e that is the equal word of um, mercy in the New Testament. It means every single positive quality about God is going to move towards you so that you can worship him. If I could do overtones of Romans chapter 12 with your entire life. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever where the Holy Spirit lives in you. And when you finally get your papers, your glory papers, and you step into eternity, you are stepping into your home, not a foreign land. You're stepping into a familiar place, not an unfamiliar place. You're stepping into a place where people will meet and greet you, not a place where you'll be shamed. You will be in the house of the Lord forever. Not only as an individual brick, if you will, within the big temple of God with the Holy Spirit in you, but within his glorious kingdom in you. There is celebration in the midst of a storm. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever experienced that? I have. It's come in the form of a hug. It's come in the form of a prayer. It's come in the form of a silent presence of somebody who's just there. It's come in the form of an invitation of, if you need anything, please call me. I don't even need to ask. But if I do, I know that I will get it lickety-split. It comes within the prayer tape. It comes within food at your house. It comes within a kind word. It comes within somebody sitting down with you to just simply say, how are you doing? There, there are these celebrations inside of you that let you know that you are deeply connected and richly involved with people so that you are not alone even if you are not alone. This is not about, oh glory, this is really fun, let's pretend this isn't happening. This is about something deep inside of you that resonates, that all is not lost, even though it looks like it is. And even though I don't know what tomorrow is like, there is this deep, deep connection that actually gives me these moments of peace and joy. That's what this is all about. Praise God. So, Psalm 23 is your homework for this week. To not only short-term memory, look at it, but long-term memory, begin to live it out in acts of service, in words of encouragement, in moving towards somebody to enjoy that moment with them, to, to have that connection so that the structure of the psalm in the wilderness in your life 
Jesus is alive and well as a shepherd, then there is some deep abiding connection that you actually have. So you have a total of nine minutes to talk a little bit about this tonight. So I'm going to just turn it loose, and I'm going to pray at 8 o'clock and like for you to interact with what you're hearing, what you like, what you think about. If there's a question, please put it down. I did get a question, and I didn't, I didn't answer it tonight. I apologize. I'll write it out. Um, I got a really great question last week. I'll answer it. It's about how do you know about um, having um, real remorse? How do you know about the, the real changes that are happening inside of you? So we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit next week. Um, so as we look at this. So go ahead and talk. If there's a question, please write it out. And I will close us with a word of prayer here in just a few minutes. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer and let you guys get out of here. I hope that from tonight, you will really take a look at this Jesus standing beside you on the water while you're in the boat. And remember, if you take a step back, he's asking you to take a step toward him. And that's all he wants you to do, and he will help you along the way. I wonder if he moved toward Peter or not. I kind of like to think he did, is that he probably moved toward Peter, and Peter moved toward him, because when he started sinking, Jesus was there, and he lifted him back up. So it wasn't like, hey, you have to come all the way to me, and I'm not budging. I think that they, they were moving toward each other, which is really kind of cool uh, to make that actually work out. In my mind, that makes sense to me. And here's what I want you to know is Jesus is moving toward you, but he needs you to move toward him also. He needs you to move toward him. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the good shepherd. You teach us, you train us, you guide us, you direct us. And as a result of that, Lord, we really can thrive um, underneath your hand. We can uh, be by still waters. We can be led in paths of righteousness. We can have all of our real needs met. We can have celebration in the midst of a storm. We can feel your rod and your staff of protection. We do know that as we travel, even through very, very difficult terrain, this valley of deep darkness and shadow or death, um, that we don't have to fear anything. There's no evil there because you are with us, um, close to us, guiding us, and you will fend off all of those things that we can be your people. And in the end, Lord, um, we will live for your glory and we will live with you. Help us to live out this truth this week while we're um, being your witnesses as we're living in our homes and working in our businesses and being in our neighborhoods and serving you to the best of our ability. Lord, let us keep learning more and more how we can be like Jesus and trust him when these difficult times come. We ask in his name. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.